you probably know what it's like to use apps for learning Chinese vocabulary. But do you know what it's like to run a company that builds such apps? And how can technology help us learn more, now and in the future? Hello and welcome to the Hacking Chinese podcast. In this week's episode, I'm talking with Jake Gill, the CEO of Scritter, which is an app for learning vocabulary in Chinese and Japanese. If you want to know more about Scritter, I just published an updated in-depth review on Hacking Chinese, or you can tune into episode 53 of the podcast, which is all about Scritter. To find these, simply follow the link in the show notes. In my conversation with Jake, we talk about how technology has changed the way we learn Chinese and how to balance the needs of students with practical limitations that come with running a company. We also talk about how to keep learning Chinese even when you're busy with other things and the role of AI in language education. Without further ado, let's get started with the interview. Hello, Jake. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Ula. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. This is the first real day of spring here, so it feels good. How is it where nice. you are? Uh, it's California. It's generally pretty nice. I don't I don't get to complain too much. <laughs> well, <laughs> as most of you know, I'm in Sweden, so I do get to complain about the weather, at least occasionally. Okay, so we know each other since uh, quite a while, but I think that you're new to many or maybe most of the listeners. So would you mind introducing yourself? Sure. Yeah. So as as I just said, uh, I'm from California, San Jose, but I actually grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, in the Midwest in the United States. My name is Jake Gill. Uh, I've been learning Chinese since like 2006 uh, when I started studying at university. Uh, my first year of university, I took a Mandarin class and that's where I got the name Gao Jian. Gao Di the Gao, so tall and Jian, Kang the Jian, uh, tall and healthy, uh, which I think is a, is a fun name. So yeah, I, I started learning Mandarin uh, a long time ago at this point, um, and I did some time in Taiwan. So I studied in Taiwan. I studied in mainland China uh, as well. And then I ended up going to grad school in Taiwan for teaching Chinese as a second language, which is where we met. Um, yeah, I got it. I think I we were corresponding back and forth a little bit beforehand. Um, and you say, yeah, I'm, I'm coming over uh, to do the same program. Uh, and it was a lot of fun to, I mean, we started hanging out basically the second you got there and talking about hacking Chinese and, and, and really just trying to level up our Mandarin game together, which was a lot of, a lot, a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And back then, I think you also had some kind of website you were running, correct? Yeah, I was doing some blogging, uh, that actually got me the job at Scritter. So I didn't mention this yet, but yeah. So these days, uh, I work for Scritter and I've been working there for a long time. I was a blogger in the beginning and now I'm the CEO of Scritter. Um, but yeah, I was running a blog called I Learn Mandarin. I think it's still online, although I haven't posted mm -hmm. in a very, very, very long time. But yeah, I was just documenting my own progress and maybe some of my struggles occasionally and also some of the tools. I've always really been fascinated with how to leverage technology uh, to learn anything, really. Um, mm -hmm. But with Mandarin, it was a really natural fit. Uh, I started kind of my first introduction to Mandarin was way back when Chinese pod was just getting started, actually. And so I was working data entry um, and listening to some of their podcasts and doing, you know, just super basic lessons. But I remember like 
just being able to do that, working, walking into class the first day. And I think I was able to, you know, like, 大家好,我是Jake. And my teacher was like, wow,你的发音很好. And I was kind of like hooked from day one, right? Just from that little yeah. moment of trying a little bit and then getting that an instant response, which is kind of the best, most fun yeah. part about learning a language is being able to communicate with others and you yeah. know, your native tongue. And we roughly started learning at the same time. So I remember Chinese pod back in that time too. And I also used to listen to the lessons. And I remember thinking it was so hard to come up with good answers when they left pauses in the audio and you oh, were yes. to say something. Yes. But yes. I did listen quite a lot, which I'm, I'm very happy with. Yeah, uh, speaking of tools, I think that was an interesting thing back then too, that the tools that I used for learning, say, vocabulary or other things, uh, were basically just things that people randomly suggested. Like you had a classmate mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. had heard about this, who had heard it from someone else, maybe yep. someone more senior in the same program or something. But it wasn't really, I mean, obviously the internet existed back then. We're not that old. But yes. um, it was amazing how much was spread by word of mouth rather than some kind of organized search. I did, certainly didn't go online and, and look for the best resources for some reason. Yeah, no, almost all of my tools early on were definitely like go to, we had a Chinese language table every single week and there would always be a couple of students that were a few, you know, levels above and they would, some of them would be like, yeah, this is what I use. But I think like, you know, I didn't have a smartphone when I first started learning. So I remember like going out on eBay and bidding for like a Chinese, you know, Taiwanese dictionary, um, mm -hmm. like an electric one and, and really just being dazzled by the handwriting input of it and, and, you know, having to learn the interface and, yeah, I got one of those too. Beat looking up in a book, uh, which was yeah, really slow and tedious. Yeah. yeah. So we started learning around the same time and we shared many of these problems. And I should say we already had a better time than people who started learning before us because at least we had electronic dictionaries. Mm -hmm. uh, handwriting input was, like you said, something you had to have a specific device for, but you still had some kind of way of looking things up digitally. Uh, mm -hmm. But even so, I remember spending a lot of time I mean, actually wasting a lot of time, you know, looking up characters that could today, they just take a, a tap or a click to, to look up. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So you and I, we met in 2012, I think, when I started the, the master's program in, in Taiwan. And uh, the reason, well, there are many reasons we are talking now. And of course, we have talked about learning Chinese and teaching Chinese many times over, over almost a decade now. Oh, more than a decade now, even. More than a decade. But as you mentioned, you are also the CEO of Scritter, and I have also, as many of you listeners will know, uh, worked for Scritter for not all that time, but since 2014, I think we established. And so this is why I want to talk with you specifically about learning and teaching Chinese, and maybe specifically about characters and words, because I think that's something that, well, obviously that's the domain of Scritter. But we've mentioned mm -hmm. Scritter many times now, and I think those of you who know about Scritter know it's an app, but... I imagine that there's someone in the audience that have never heard about Scritter and uh, they have no clue what we're talking about. So what is Scritter? What does it do? And, and what's your role there? Yeah, so I think in order to get a good uh, understanding of what Scritter is, we should go back to the very beginning. So Scritter was founded by three guys at Oberlin University in, I want to say 2008. They worked on it as a college graduation project, which is really quite amazing. Um, and at the time they were studying Chinese and Japanese in university and they're not native speakers. And so at a lot of universities, um, at that level, uh, I know for me in particular, same kind of situation, 
you go to class, you have a bunch of vocabulary, and then every single day, probably, or week, there was these tingshia, these, um, you had to write down what the teacher was saying, and, you know, making that vocabulary stick, uh, so you don't forget it, I feel like you have two options, or especially back then, um, you could cram, and do it all the day before, and write it, and, mm-hmm. and probably pass okay, um, or you could use SRS, something like Anki, which was a, a system that was certainly available at the time, but you had to be on your computer to make the flashcards, super memo, you know, these these kinds of systems. Yeah. But there wasn't technology for character input specifically and handwriting input, which is something that if you're studying Chinese or Japanese, um, certainly comes up, uh, especially in university settings, you need to be able to test, you know, test on something. And a lot of teachers would, would use this method to make sure that the students understand the vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And so tingxia here means listen and write, so it's dictation, yeah. right? So this is yeah, dictation standard, yes, standard practice in many courses and, and programs. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. Thank you, Ula. Uh, yeah, so they so they had this idea to use a web, use something like a Wacom tablet, so a, a writing tablet or a graphic design tablet, and have that writing input connected to your computer. And so they built this flashcard system, heavily inspired by Super Memo and Anki, but really focused on Chinese and Japanese and really focused on handwriting specifically. So it's an active recall application. Uh, it is SRS-based, so science, uh, space repetition systems. And it has, at this point, hundreds and hundreds of official study decks for various textbooks throughout the world and various courses that exist, uh, community-made decks. You know, it's been around for a long time at this point. I think inside of Scritter, there's like a million plus vocabulary uh, that have been created by us and the rest of the community to to really just learn anything and everything um, in Chinese uh, and scale with you and and do it in a scientific way. Um, these days, I think Scritter has really evolved. Uh, in 2012, uh, the mobile application came out on iOS, and that was a really game changer. And that was really when I got heavily involved in Scritter as a writer, but then as an app tester. Um, and it was, I mean, I would like in class, I, every break I had, I would take out Scooter and, and, and use it. And it really, really, really helped me like firsthand as a student, um, do it. But yeah, these days we're, we're a content company. We, we teach Chinese, Japanese, we have mobile applications, we have in-app videos and courses and, and all this really cool stuff, tons of integrations. Um, but we are, a we are a learning app designed specifically for Chinese and Japanese, uh, to help make vocabulary stick long-term. Mm-hmm. And both of you and I have, of course, used Scritter ourselves, <laughs> because yes. in grad school, we did have several exams that were in class where you had to write by hand. Well, it could be essay questions or uh, yes. exam questions about linguistics, pronunciation, teaching pedagogy, yes. and so on. And while you don't necessarily have to write super fast, you do need to be able to write. And you can't hesitate too much and you can't forget i think it's more of an endurance test to be honest because it's like three hour handwritten exam (laughs) yeah and i remember my hands cramping up completely after a while because i wasn't even though i mean even if you use scritter or even if you write by hand now and then uh, writing for several hours by hand if you're not used to it is uh, Mm -hmm. not very pleasant Okay, mm-hmm. so Scritter is meant to help people with this problem, right? To remember characters and words and to be able to learn more. And then by extension, like you said, through other types of content, through videos, through courses and so on, learn more about the language. But it's the vocabulary thing that's still the heart of the app itself, at least, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah, okay. So I think many people have heard about similar apps. You mentioned Anki, you mentioned, mentioned Super Memo, and there are a bunch of others. 
What would you say makes Scripture stand out from the others? Just to make sure that people are with us when we're talking about what Scripture does. What do you think it does differently? What's the unique selling point here, really? Yeah, I think there's a I think there's several. One of the main things if you open this application versus many others in the market is just the handwriting experience. The way that we built Squitter from the ground up, the way that characters are built inside of Squitter, it's a very pleasant experience. The stroke order is always enforced, but you really do get a sense of, you know, it's not a entirely one-to-one handwriting experience because you're on a screen, you're touching glass, even if you're using a stylus. But it's a really pleasing, like it looks nice, it feels nice. It's kind of you can you really get into a zen or flow like state when you're doing this, and it just is really amazing. And in that regard, so I think that Scritter typically is we are the number one handwriting character application in the world for non-native speakers. Um, that's just we rank very well in that, and we're really known as a character writing application. I think some of the other selling points that set us apart from other more universal applications um, or other SRS systems is the deep dive that we've done into Chinese and Japanese specifically. So we have a lot of integrations, things like Do Chinese, uh, Pleco, Chairman's Bao, MDGB, uh, Dolan Pop-Up Dictionary, all these kinds of things. They all play really nicely with Squitter as well. So it's just super efficient in that way. Um, If you're studying, we also break down characters and have example sentences. We have outlier support inside of our dictionary. So there's a lot of integrations that are very specific to Chinese. um, Mm -hmm. And that's as a premium application. uh, I think that's what really sets us apart. We also hand, you know, we do all of our own in-app audio recording. I mean, not for every 1 million something entries, but Mm -hmm. we consistently add, you know, consistently add this extra polish, write these example sentences. So we're coming at this from both a, you know, academic educational perspective of, hey, we're teachers with years of experience in the application, but we're also students. So we understand what we need, right? Um, and try to build mm-hmm. accordingly. Yeah. And when you say integration here, you mean that if you're studying something in another app, maybe you're reading something in an app meant to do that, or you're listening mm-hmm. to something, or you're covering a lesson somewhere, it's easy for people to just click a button or do some yeah, simple thing. Save that, in it. Yeah loads up instantly into Scritter. You don't even need to make a deck. It just is there. It just appears the next time you open the app, which is a lot of fun. Uh, now, we don't have that um, compatibility for something like Pleco, but inside of Scritter, you can, if you ever want to, go in and and you know deal with that. So if, you've, if you're a Pleco fan and you've gone and you know purchased a bunch of the dictionaries um, as add-ons, then it's really quick and easy to, to jump from one app to the other in a pretty seamless experience, which is very nice as well. Mm-hmm. And this is something I wish were something that was more common in general in in the in the Chinese language learning world apps that play nicely with each other and i talked with julian lair about this in the previous interview which was i don't know almost 100 episodes ago now mm-hmm. uh, where we kind of lamented the fact that it's very scattered and fragmented so you have apps that do certain things and you have other th- apps that do other things and they rarely talk with each other so you have to have a yeah that's very true different different solutions and and it doesn't really they don't work very nicely together. And I understand why this is the case. It's just nice that you, I mean, at least there are some attempts being made to making it easier for people because that certainly matters. Yep. So I was thinking when I talk to people about what I do, I sometimes find it, well, not difficult to explain what I work with. Well, sometimes it is because I do many different things at once. But when you tell people that you work with Scritter, what kind of reactions do you get? Like, let's say from people who, I don't know, who don't learn Chinese, maybe. 
how do you explain what you're doing and what kind of reactions do you get? Yeah, I mean, I, I normally just say that I work in educational technology, and then I follow that up by saying we help people learn how to read and write Chinese and Japanese. Uh, and that's normally people look at me and go, but you're a white guy. Like, how do, how do you fit into this scenario and situation? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, you know, actually used to be a Chinese teacher. I've always been interested in technology. Um, so I think I approach it in that way. There are some people that seem really engaged and interested in that idea. And that's when I normally open the app and show them uh, or hand them the application, which is even more fun. And, mm -hmm. you know, pull up like a numbers deck or something and be like, hey, here, here's how you display the stroke order on the screen. Go for it. Like, let's learn how to write one through 10 really quick. And I think once you physically engage with the application in this way, that's when the active recall kicks in and, you know, your brain, you're, you're really forcing yourself to write something on the screen and engage with it in a, in a fun and interesting way. And they, I think they instantly get it and, and they're, oh, this is so cool, you know. Um, but I think you know, normally it's just, I'm like, yeah, I'm in educational technology. I, I do live in Silicon Valley, so it's not like okay, maybe not, not so a weird. lot of people that are doing <laughs> technology around here. Yeah. Um, so I just am, and you know, I'm ed tech and, and, and they, they get it. And they just nod wisely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 I'm like, well, <laughs> okay. we haven't IPO'd or anything. So, you know, so, uh, so what, if, what if you say that you're working or you are the CEO of Scritter and you're talking with people who are actually learning Chinese or Japanese, have you encountered any, and any real users in the wild, so to speak? I have at, so I was at CLTA, uh, the Chinese Language Teachers Association. I was at ACTFL, um, which is the American Foreign Language Teachers Association. And we were, we had a booth set up um, and we did meet a couple Scritter users. And one of them actually gave me a like Zensu stylus brush. It was really cool. He just handed it to me. He's like, you need this more than me. And I mean, I still have it to this day. It was really, it was really cool. Uh, I don't know if I've seen, like, I've, I haven't seen anyone scrittering in the wild, but I've definitely had people watch over my shoulder while on public transport while doing mm -hmm. scritter. And, and it has started quite a few conversations um, with all sorts of different people. They just are curious, like, what are you doing? Uh, especially at like bars or something. If I'm at a bar by myself having a drink, then the, guaranteed to start a conversation with somebody next to me or the bartender, which is a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like having one of those talk to me in Chinese t-shirts. Uh, yes, correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So this is a good example of distributed learning for everybody. So when you're at the, at the bar, of course, you, you still study Chinese. You spread yeah, yeah, it yeah. Out. Do your, do your dead, you take advantage of your dead time. No, but for me, like in Taiwan, for example, anytime I was on the bus or the subway, I was probably doing something like that and reviewing my vocabulary and doing my flashcarding just to be efficient with my time. You know, there's a, we, we had a lot of homework um, and there was a lot to do. And so vocabulary acquisition was really important, right? So, and mm. to this day, I really just try and find those small moments in life that I can maintain my vocabulary and, and improve it. Yeah, and this is, of course, I mean, regular listeners will, of course, know this because I say it all the time. But I mean, rather than spending 30 minutes or 40 minutes doing your vocab reviews all in one go before you go to bed, why spread them out over the day and you can use those uh, that's mm -hmm. time towards the end to read something or listen to something or do something else instead. 
Yep. Uh, so yeah, that's that, that definitely very important, especially when you get to kind of long-term learning as we are doing now. I mean, we are not actively studying Chinese as such. I mean, we're doing various things in that direction, but that's definitely not our main focus in life these days. Uh, so if you want to keep learning in this situation, it needs to be integrated and, and spread out, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that I'm curious about uh, is that I've, I mean, running Hacking Chinese, I receive a fair number of emails from people who want me to check out their applications. And I think I've received, I don't know, 20 or 30 emails over the years from people who have developed various kinds of apps for mm -hmm. learning specifically vocabulary in Chinese. So there seems to be lots of people who have learned some Chinese. They have maybe a background in computer science or something, some kind of coding related skills, and then they want to build their own app. So there are a lot of wishes or preferences when it comes to learning vocabulary. Everybody wants a specific thing. And that's something I know is, I mean, for all companies or tech, all tech companies, there's always this balancing between what do people want and what we can or want to offer, right? So you mm -hmm. have, um, if you have thousands of users and they all have completely different preferences and they want to have that setting or they want that study mode, you can't just do all of them, right? So how do you manage this kind of, not a conflict necessarily, but priority matter maybe? I think from my perspective, always looking at Scooter in a, with a pedagogical lens. So trying to be very science-based and science-backed with some of the reasons that we might deploy X, Y, or Z inside of the application. And then using and leveraging customer support, communications, various surveys of some kinds, um, and, and just looking and being analytical with the data about how, how is the technology being leveraged right now? Are there areas that we can improve? And genuinely looking at and, and reading every single piece of feedback or every single request that people have and trying to frame that in the context of does this help more than just this one individual user? Mm -hmm. um, and when it does or when things come in overwhelmingly, then we try and you know start with the most requested things first and kind of go from there. Um, but also in a business sense, we have to be a little bit practical um, about, you know, if we could do anything and everything and just snap our fingers and make it happen, then that's one thing. But there are development costs. Um, there are, you know, technology costs, there's integrations, there's, you know, can the API support this and, and all these different technical hurdles that we end up running uh, over. And so I think that this is just something that over time I've gotten um, a lot better at. And an interesting example of this actually is something that's coming out in Scritter soon, but I've been wishing for for like a decade, mm -hmm. uh, which is the ability in the mobile applications to create custom example sentences and have those be something that you can leverage as a student. Like, hey, I don't want to use your sentence or I don't want to deal with copyright infringement rights, but I'm studying this book and I'm studying this word and I want to take this example sentence and I want to see it myself. Mm. And, you know, for a really long time, it was not that it was technically impossible to do, but there were a lot of hurdles and obviously interacting with like mobile applications and tiny screens, it can be problematic. And then, hey, what if you don't really, what if you don't have a strong grasp of, you know, pinging in that system or you're not very good at translating these kinds of things. So technology has really come a long way where we can suggest um, some of that stuff, leveraging some of the machine learning technologies and, and translations and kind of fill in a lot of the gaps that are present. And it really just makes it a lot easier 
so these are things where, you know, there's a lot of stuff that comes in and, and it's a great idea. And oftentimes it's not that we can't do it. It's like, Hey, we're gonna, you know, that's in the, the in the roadmap in the long-term plans for Squitter or for, you know, technology where it's when the technology is right, or we have X, Y, and Z done, you know, we can go ahead and do that. And I mean, for me since, so I became Squitter CEO in 2018 and almost immediately my job was to, and I'm still working on this to this day is kind of unify the clients and unify the brand image and bring some of these things together and also uh, leverage a lot more of the educational side of our team um, and really just start creating content as well. I think, as you said, there's so many people that create the ability to interact with a flashcard or a definition card, you know, creative commons, dictionary license or whatever it is, right? It's, it's not hard to generate a list of words. What it is hard to do is take a mobile phone that someone's interacting with and, and have them get an experience that is meaningful enough that they're going to be able to learn something along the way. Yeah. We don't just want to have rote, you know, learning. So you need to provide context there. You need to make it engaging and interesting and fun and 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 adaptable to students and their own various needs because mm. everyone's a little bit different, right? So that's the yeah. tricky bit, I think, right now. And and oftentimes with the features and things like that, it's so often I think in our meetings internally, it's oh, that's a really good idea. Um, you know, where where does that slot into the long term vision of what we yeah. want to be doing? So Yeah, because I think from a user perspective, especially if you're not a developer yourself, and of course, most users are not developers. And right. so it seems like, say we can take this example sentence thing that you just mentioned. So I usually put my example sentences into the definition uh, mm -hmm. as a kind of hack to actually be able to do this in the app before you actually could do it. Sure, um, I do that too. Yeah. And uh, as a user, if I didn't know anything about what was going on behind the scenes, I would be like, okay, why can't you just fix this? It seems so simple. Mm. But then it isn't that simple, right? As you said, there are so many other things to take into account as well. And if you just randomly did all these things that you could do, you would probably end up with an app that nobody actually wanted to use. And that is, I think, an interesting like question or a problem. Like, How do you create an app that is pedagogically sound, that is technically sound, and that is still kind of human in the sense that using it actually is fun or engaging and mm -hmm. wants you and, and makes you want to use it more. Yeah, and it's something when I started learning Chinese or even when I started researching in Taiwan, my background um, personally was computer-assisted language learning. So that was my area of research and my focus and something that I was really interested in. And I mean, these struggles are are really prevalent inside of the educational system. It's tricky. It's also tricky to get funding. It's, you know, it's not like educational companies generally, I mean, Duolingo has IPO'd and, but consistently they were burning money. I mean, they had outside investors that were able to contribute to this and they, they saw the vision. Mm -hmm. um, but when you're working on a limited budget and you have limited resources always, then how do you spend and allocate those resources? And that's really, you know, it's something where I didn't really think that that's what I was going to school for. Um, <laughs> but there was a long period of time after joining Squitter. Um, and, and in 2014, I became a full-time employee here. You know, a lot of my attention and energy shifted more to management and, and resource management and, and working with individuals and, and trying to figure out just how to how to navigate a, you know, remote work situation across the globe uh, with a bunch of different people and and make these kinds of decisions and also interact with the user base and, and mm -hmm. do all these other different things. And it's been, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun, but it's uh, 
you know, I don't just sit there and, and get to like scritter every day or, or even study Chinese <laughs> every day. Sometimes I, I don't even speak any Chinese, which is yeah. uh, a little bit bizarre, but. Well, that's better when you actually teach Chinese. You get to speak Chinese, whether you that, like that it or not. That is very true. That yeah. is very true. Yes. So one, one thing I want to go back to that you said earlier was taking user feedback seriously and, and so on. And I think one thing that is interesting is that if you are a normal person, like if you're just learning Chinese yourself, maybe you have a few friends who are learning Chinese, maybe you know a couple of people, but it's still a very small bubble. Whereas if you teach Chinese, depending on where you teach maybe, and if you read user feedback as you do, it seems like you get to interact with more different types of people because I think mm -hmm. there is a danger in thinking that everybody likes the same things I do and everybody works the way I do. And if mm -hmm. I like something, why don't other people also like it? And of course, I, most people understand that this is not true. But unless you had a, have a very broad experience interacting with lots of different, well, users in your case or students in my case, it can definitely be a problem that you tend to understand one type of problem because you've taught many students that are of this kind or with this background or something. Mm -hmm. But you haven't really seen all these students and they might be many more. They just don't come to you for some reason. Like mm -hmm. I teach certain university programs and professional development courses. And of course, they are highly selective. For example, it, mostly people in Sweden to begin with. Well, I've taught people online, but not that many compared to how many are taught on campus. And so that's something I'd like to ask you about. So you've interacted with users a lot and with students a lot, maybe mm -hmm. not directly, like you said, but at least directly, I mean, directly as in you have met them necessarily, but you've read their feedback and you do pay attention to what people say, the feature request and so on and so forth. Is there anything you've learned or any kind of insight you'd like to share about that you didn't think about before you started interacting or seeing what all of these people thought about learning Chinese or Japanese? A difficult question, maybe, but yeah, I I think it's like like you said, like everyone, you know, even even in the the bubble and interacting with our our users, it's unless you have a sense of like what their background is or something like that. I mean, we had a very interesting request recently, actually, where someone said, "Oh, I, you know, I I'd love to switch over from Anki over to Scritter and just use that all the time, but you don't have." controller support I, and so it was like this first time where i'm like oh someone's like on their computer but they're using a video game controller to move mm. through cards very quickly um and it was just a you know it's a, a great example of something where it, my, my brain was like i've never even considered anything like that but i mean sure like wh why not mm -hmm. um and obviously the the answer is not just sure right now i'm actually gonna have a support meeting later and we're gonna figure out how to respond to this user and, and everything but mm -hmm. um you know yeah there's a lot of individuals who have their own experiences and i think that there's often they will you know because of those experiences then they are going to come up with and have this approach or this hey have you ever considered this scenario or this this other scenario or whatever and I love when they write that in because that means they're excited about the application. It's so easy to just not engage with something, but to, to actually engage with something and, and maybe either find faults in it. You know, bugs, I think, are are something that we probably hear about more than feature requests. If something's not working the right way, then we oh, want to yeah, fix it, at sure. least over, over time, mm -hmm. right? Um, but um, yeah, it's, you know, I try to run things through the gambit of, it's a, is this going to benefit everyone? And And here, I mean... I like to look at features and experiences inside the application or things that we're planning on and, and try and start from very zero beginners and work our way up. And maybe zero beginners is is the trickiest bit because they know nothing yet. Um, mm -hmm. But like 
beginners, even false beginners in through that intermediate phase up to the advanced phase. And I think, you know, to be honest right now, the thing I'm probably ignoring the advanced users the, the most in terms of the things that they, they need because their, their needs are very specific at that point. Um, and there's probably other ways that they can, they can leverage some of this stuff. Uh, maybe for example, and, and myself being one of these people, I would love inside of Scooter to have the ability to study Cao um, Shu or Xing Shu uh, and see it and handwrite yeah. it right on the screen. Um, not very practical for most people who uh, maybe just need to learn how to write um, a few sure. hundred characters and just kind of want to do the flashcarding for the rest of them. Yeah. Um, but then on the other hand, it's it's also, I mean, people who are beginners, they don't have, I mean, of course, beginners have preferences, but they haven't they don't have established habits for how they think things right. should work. So there's also a, a teaching opportunity here, right? So in a sense, when you get beginner students, I mean, regardless if they are users in Scritter or in a classroom when I teach, mm -hmm. then you can just get them started with, okay, this is how you do this. This is how you learn characters. This is how you do these things. And you encourage, I mean, of course, not there is no one size fits all. This works for everybody. But mm -hmm. at least you can lay the foundation of what is kind of a sound study methodology for them. Whereas if you get someone who has studied for a while, you get the opposite, that they have their set ways and then you need to accommodate that in some way. And I'm not saying that's yes. bad. I'm just saying that it's it's a different type of problem, really. Mm -hmm. Or you need to acknowledge that their voice is being heard and you are not doing something for X, Y, or Z reasons, right? And and mm -hmm. But I do think that um, oftentimes... It's very interesting to see and hear how people interact. And I think this goes, I mean, if you just look in in any language learning community or any community for when anytime you're learning anything, right? There's, you know, beginners kind of get stuck in this. They don't know what to do yet. And so they're just mm -hmm. like, and they haven't really had the experience to figure out whether or not they should go down various paths. Yeah. I mean, like I said at the beginning, you just grab something you happen to find. You grab or something somebody and, mentions, and Yeah. And so trying to find moments in those experiences where you can step in or interject and say, hey, have you considered this or that? And I think that that's one of the most fun elements of Scritter and the combination of being able to do more educational content inside of the application, right? Like you and I worked very hard on the character course and you mm -hmm. spent so much time on that. But that was just one of these things yeah. where our stance and our position from there was Hey, let's do, let's take all the things that we learned over the first several years of studying Chinese and let's write down all the things that we wished we knew in the beginning. And let's start there as our premise for, Hey, this is our G2, our foundation for how we are going to present this course material. Um, because if you can get started on the right foot and you have good guidance early on, mm -hmm. then you can study so much faster and get so far yeah comparatively and just it's like don't waste your time do not write hand do do not try and brute force your way into learning chinese characters it will not work it will mm -hmm. not end well for you and yet this is still one of the most commonly of advocated methods so of course well that's how we learned when we were growing up that's how we learned how to write yeah. as children except we could already speak and understand and have yeah, conversations and chinese with people, people do this so. too of course and chinese yes. people do this too but mm -hmm. it you know for non-native speakers it just doesn't work that well no and it's yeah exactly so imagine that you, we talked about limitations here, like you, you said that, well, you can't do everything, of course, because, mm. well, I mean, obviously there are practical limitations. You don't have uh, an unlimited number of developers and, and so on. But imagine that somebody said, hey, I want to give a hundred million or something to Scritter and no strings attached. And you could kind of, 
I know that you can't just scale things up. So if you suddenly hire 100 developers, there will be other problems. I'm not saying mm. that's not what I want to talk about. I'm more interested in like, what would you do with Scripture if you had no or very few of the restrictions that you do have now? I would definitely invest more in AI and machine learning technology. Uh, I think we are on the, um, you and I have been experimenting a lot with with these things behind the scenes and having yeah. just talks and generating art and doing things. But, you know, technology is, is really getting to the point now where these things become very possible and the, the language models that are being um, looked at and, and analyzed and, and put into computer technology is just, I mean, it's quite remarkable where we're at. And just to think that five, six months from now, a year from now, like who knows? Um, yeah, definitely. And, and not even to get into like doomsday scenarios, just, you know, let's just be sunny about it. But the, you know, very soon, I think that we might be able to have a language coach in our, in our hand um, that can help us and guide us and know exactly what we know and push us where necessary. You know, you have a 24 seven coach um, and language teacher and enthusiast that's cheering you along. Um, I think, you know, getting something like that inside of Scooter would be amazing. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't think that that it would be the only situation and scenario um, that we would have. So if we had some money, I th additional money, I think it would be really remarkable to be able to jump into a small group setting or a one-on-one -on -one classroom at will, right? Hey, I just finished this thing. I have questions. I want to ask a native speaker. You know, I don't oh, know okay. how to prompt the machine. Um, so let me go in and, and get a tutor and and, and do that um, as part of the service. I think something like that would be cool. I think increased integrations or you know, being able to uh, study along with, um, you know, more long form content licensing is obviously tricky, but you know, there's so much great materials out there. And um, so being able to engage with that in some way. Yeah, um, I think all that stuff would be. What about VR? Is that a thing? I mean, is VR a thing yet? I like, I don't know if we're, I just don't know if we're quite there yet. Right. Um, I personally have never worn a VR headset, which is kind of interesting for someone. What, really? Like, really? Oh, you should give it a try. You should play like uh, Half-Life Alex or, or something like that just to see what something. it's Something. Like. Yeah. yeah. No, but I think something like that could be cool. I know that we April Fools it, you know. Yeah. I, I think maybe eight, seven or eight years ago, I wrote an April Fools article on the Scritter blog where we yeah. were going to launch some kind of Zen mode where you could practice characters in a variety of different meditative environments or something. Yeah. And I yeah. hooked it up to some kind of, you know, contextual learning thing. That kind of makes sense, yeah. actually. It's just that I don't really see people wanting to wear heavy goggles while, <laughs> while writing characters. Yeah. But like something, so, you know, something like that, where you maybe were able to uh, study along with a calligraphy master um, and get that experience and, and have a have a more of a kind of video game-esque or uh, experience could be really cool. But mm. I think right now, you know, in terms of like what would be really interesting inside of Scooter, I'd love to have some, you know, graded reading support that that we're creating uh, have some some ways to interact with real real people and get feedback. Mm -hmm. You know, the language using language is tricky. Input is input is we need a lot of input. Output, uh, I think we do need some guidance, right? Because there's a lot of um, not like fossilization necessarily, but incorrect transfer where uh, you get a word and you see the English definition of a word, and you maybe haven't seen the extent of the context of the language. And so you think, oh, yes, I can use this similar to something in English or, or whatever it is, whatever your target uh -huh, language yeah. is and your native languages. And there's not always that one to one relationship. And so, so often, so I still do Chinese classes once a week um, online. I have a tutor and 
it's so interesting to hear how they correct me and just, oh, you know, here, what yeah. you're actually, the word you're still looking for is this. And so it's always kind of tweaking and tuning my meaning. Um, but I do think it would be really yeah. interesting inside of the application if you had, like imagine a world where you write an example sentence and you immediately get the feedback on that um, example yeah. sentence as you're doing it. And not just from like a native speaker who's like, this is the way we say it, but from an educator who understands where you're coming from and also tries to bridge that gap between uh -huh. your usage and the overall understanding and, and you know, create these educational moments. Um, yeah. Something like that would be awesome, I think. Yeah, because I mean, input can give you positive evidence of how things are said, but you need so much. I mean, of course, you can get negative evidence of how things mm. are not said, but you need a ridiculous amount of input to get that. But yeah. then if you may have just a little bit of output with some guidance, you can you can hone or fine tune your, your models of how these, these words yep. work. Absolutely. So I think this is actually an interesting thing that I've tr tried out a little bit with ChatGPT, like asking it to explain certain things. And I think, getting back to the technology here, and it seems like it does a fairly good job sometimes. And it's just the problem is that you don't really know when. Like I can tell when it's wrong because I know the answer. That's the issue that we're at right now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so confident. I, I asked it. I was asking ChatGPT the other day about something, and I was I was typing. It was a combo of Chinese and English, and it was trying to tell me. I don't remember the character, but let's just let's just say it was a character like Mu. So one, two, three, four strokes, and it was telling me that Mu had three strokes, no matter how many times I asked it. And I was like, No, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Um, and so that's, I think, where we're still, we're not quite there yet, right? Where, and if you don't already know the answer, what you're looking for, you can, it, it tricky, slippery slope, right? Um, so that's, I think, where it still would be amazing to have, a, you know, a conversation with a, with a native speaker and a teacher or a non-native speaker and a teacher who can yeah. empathize with you and stuff. And, and that, and I think the only other thing which is related, but something I know you do, something that I do professionally um, is I do have coaching sessions with a coach. Um, and I think it would be amazing, you know, no strings attached, huge budget, get some people that, you know, Hey, I'm an advanced language learner. You're an intermediate language learner. You're a beginner. Let's meet up. Let's have some conversations. Let's go over what your uh -huh. goals are, um, and have these kind of coaching sessions, um, because they're really beneficial, um, and, and can really put things into perspective or ask you hard questions that you might not be asking yourself. Something like yeah. that would be absolutely amazing for this kind of a tool. Yeah, and this is also probably an area where I think AI for the foreseeable future is not going to do very well in either. Mm -hmm. I mean, it can regurgitate and get what other people are saying about certain things, but this, I've done it, therefore I know what you're going mm -hmm. through and I can see where I was maybe a few years ago and help you out. That kind yeah. of insight is kind of hard. And that's also yes. hard for, for humans, right? Uh, because we shouldn't forget that, of course, when you ask ChatGPT something and it spits out something, if you're a beginner, you don't know if this is the right answer. Like if you're an advanced learner or a native speaker, you can just say this is wrong or mostly yeah. wrong or it's partly right or whatever. But mm -hmm. then again, this also happens with real people, right? I've had people tell me things that with a straight face about Chinese that are completely wrong. And I've had teachers to do, do that too. Yeah, and then sure. later you realize, but this was just wrong. And yeah you wonder what's what's going on but i think the problem in with chatgpt is mainly that you don't you can't gauge the confidence level like if you have a mm -hmm. human being in front of you you get some idea of what they're saying and of course some people are very good at just saying things and sounding confident no matter mm -hmm. if they know the answer or not mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. normal people don't do that they hesitate a little bit you can kind of you can gauge a little bit how confident they are in what they're saying 
And honest teachers, of course, they just say, no, I don't know. I need to look this up and I'll, I'll get back to you. And that's mm-hmm. fine. But ChatGPT never says that. It has never said, sorry, I don't know. I think I've never seen that. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. But if you ask ChatGPT how to learn to read and write Chinese characters effectively, it will tell you to use Squirter, which is pretty cool. Oh, wow. I haven't tried that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the our future machine overlords are on Squitter's side. Yes, they side. get they, 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 yep, 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 yep. Maybe they are <laughs> using Squitter. I don't know. But but yeah, so so looking forward, what do you think? I mean, we've seen a lot of interest in technology and specifically, I think, AI since late last year. And things seem to be moving fairly fast. And as like you said before, we aren't that far away from having a personal tutor that can do certain things with you. But before I, I'm going to ask you what you think the, the future will be like in a, in a bit, but I want to ask you one question before that, something I've been mm-hmm. thinking about. So we talked about Scritter as an app that was sound in different ways, but then also it has to be something that people ultimately want to use. So one thing that I've been thinking is, so even if ChatGPT, let's pretend that ChatGPT was always right. And of course it isn't, but let's pretend that it it was always right. Yep. I think lots of people might actually not use it anyway, because there is a certain difference between chatting with a real person, having an interaction with real people, and doing something with a bot. Like you know that this is not a real human interaction. And while it on the surface is the same thing, like if I have a conversation and let's say it passes a, you know, it passes the Turing test, it could mm-hmm. be a human, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but simply the knowledge that I'm not talking with a real person, I think could have an impact on motivation and how I do things. Not so much because the actual interaction would be different, it wouldn't, but just because of the fact that I know that it's, you know, a bot rather than a human. Or do you think this is a romantic notion that will die very quickly? I think it's going to die very quickly. I think, well, I, I think that right now, so in, in university, I took some classes. I was a global communications major, uh, which is kind of a revamp of international studies. So I didn't, I didn't major in Chinese, but we did take some interesting classes. And even at the time, looking at some of the forefront of things and just looking at how technology changed, you know, let's take moving, for example, you're moving house, right? And historically, what you would have to do um, is you would have to uh, maybe call up your friends and then, hey, I'm going to treat you to some beer and pizza and you're going to help me move. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, now it's just, hey, I'll just go online and, and, and book a mover um, and kind of have a, a more commercial um, experience there. But I think that if we if we look at technology, we look at the way that people are interacting with the world these days, you know, it's very possible for people to, myself included, my wife and I, we had a very long, several year long distance relationship where we only use technology to communicate. Yes, I knew a human was on the other end, right? Let's say that some people can suspend their disbelief or they just don't care. And they're like, whatever, dude, I'm just going to learn. Um, I just want to learn this language as quickly as possible. And so I'm just going to chat with with bots all day. I think it's going to trigger some of the same areas of the brain. You're going to get some of the same dopamine and everything else that will allow you to kind of just bypass that element of, yes, I'm not interacting with a human here, but I'm still communicating. I'm still getting these sense of the, the reward triggers are, you know, firing and, and doing these things. and and I, you know, is that going to be enough? I don't know. But I, I bet you right now, if you go on the internet and Google it, you're going to find some people that are trying to figure out a way to get married to a chat bot. Uh, and if they're not right now, give it a couple of years. Um, and, you know, that's not going to discredit the human element, I think, in experience. But um, I don't know. I think some people 
maybe a little bit more introverted, maybe they they don't want to put themselves in that pressure, then at, they are afforded a new opportunity to express themselves in a language and, and, and communicate in a way that they're comfortable with. And I think that that's a really um, mm-hmm. positive thing as well. You know, I, I, I don't know how this is going to play out, but I, I do think that, you know, I don't know. But, but it is interesting because I'm not, uh, well, I'm not disputing anything. I'm not doubting, I should say, that this will work very well for some people. But I also I don't, don't have a hard time seeing some people simply losing interest if this became the norm. And I'm not talking about, say, like I said, there will be niche users who will definitely do anything if it works. But then there will be the people, you know, normal people in everyday classrooms. Would they be happy mm. with interacting with a bot half the time rather than their teacher, for example. Maybe they would. I'm not saying that they wouldn't, but it would. it's something that will be interesting. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know how that's going to play out. But like, imagine a scenario where people just get confident enough with the responses that are given so that they think of and approach how they're inputting and outputting language in a more of a, oh, I'll just Google it kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to be really easy really soon to be lazy. Um, sure. And, and just be like, hey, you oh, know, yeah, yeah. I, I want to communicate, so I'm just going to leverage this technology. And, yeah, you mean you can and, just and use Google fine. Translate, right? That kind of. You can just use it. Mm. Um, and, you know, maybe that gets in or maybe that's get better. Maybe maybe we're at the point where we do have like a chip in our ear and it's telling us and coaching us on how to have conversations and things. And I think that there will be. Yeah, I, I'll sign up for the scritter chip when it when it arrives. Yeah. You know, I don't think that that's going to discredit or, or take away from the the genuine. Yeah. Yeah, are students going to do it? I don't know. And what if someone makes it homework? Then they're going to have to, right? But it could <laughs> yeah. be. But imagine a world where that, you know, because because I think it's it's not just this, but like let's say that we have a AI powered video game now where you're exploring sure. some world yeah, yeah, and yeah. you're totally sucked of into course. it, and and they're, it's teaching you Mandarin along the way. Like imagine that world. That sounds yeah. all like a lot yeah, of fun. Yeah. Probably more engaging and interesting and interactive than uh, the Chinese classroom where you're one of 20 students and you sure. every now and again yeah. get an opportunity to have a conversation. Yeah, I mean, just because humans are involved doesn't make it very human all the time. But I think this will be an interesting exploration of, you know, there are different schools or approaches when it comes to how language learning works. And mm. if we have a very cognitive model, then what we're saying here is basically obviously true. I mean, if you're just practicing the right things and you're activating the right parts of the brain when you're doing Mm. these things, it will work, right? But then we also have people who have a completely different approach. If you have like a sociocultural approach where learning Mm. is seen as being interaction with other people and you build on what other people know and you engage with them in a social context and so on. That's not so much true, at least not for the type of chatbots we have now and not even in... I mean, in the near future, I would say. It's not like you can say, yeah, you can interact with it as if it were a human, but it's not like it's your friend. It doesn't, it's not part of your network. You don't gain anything by, say, making friends with it or, you know, things like that. And Mm -hmm. I don't know what the answer is here, but I think this will definitely be something that I'll, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. It might be a, a stepping stone toward unlocking those experiences faster. Um, oh, sure. So getting mm-hmm. getting something like that right and getting it right in such a way where you can run through some of these scenarios, maybe, you know, I, I, thinking aloud here, it's like when the first time I went to Taiwan, I actually like struggled to go out and even order food because it was yeah, yeah. 
I, I definitely oh, remember the, that. Mm-hmm. You know, all the all the menu items that were in the textbook, uh, none of that existed. Uh, <laughs> I think my first day I ordered something like pidan dofu, like 10,000 year egg. And the only reason mm-hmm. I did it was because I could understand you know the characters and order it. <laughs> and the guy yeah. was like, the Laban was like, are you really sure you want to order this thing? Right. So, um, you know, being able to potentially role play some of these scenarios to boost your confidence just a little bit um, sure. could be very helpful. Um, but, you know end of the day, like getting over it and just going and, and, and doing these things, right. Is, is I actually made a, a friend that I still occasionally talk to these days in Taiwan because I was at a post office looking like a lost puppy and they, just, they helped me out, like open a bank account. Right. So like yeah. sometimes getting these situations uh, can also be really, really sure. interesting. And like you said, that wouldn't be something that you would get out of say a chat bot, no matter how human it is. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So oh, well, at the, least not in the near future, not in but, the near future. But I also think like for introverted students, like I, I definitely count myself as introverted in that sense. I would really like to have this safe kind of space where I could experiment with things and get feedback immediately mm-hmm. and know mm-hmm. how to use things and then go out and use them in real life. So I there is a lot of applications here and we could probably talk for, I mean, I hope we will, <laughs> not right now, but we will definitely keep talking about how we can leverage AI to help people learn Chinese. We're coming up on the hour here, roughly. And mm-hmm. uh, I was wondering if there's anything you'd like to mention or talk about that we, we haven't talked about about these topics we have covered, about Scripture, about yourself, or, or something else? Just one thing that I was thinking about and looking at some of the questions that we had prepared in advance and, and something that I didn't think running Scripture would kind of teach me uh, about in life. But so these days, you know, I think it was really easy to be a student as a student. Like my only job was to go to school and study. Um, but these days I'm almost 38. Uh, and so... I spend a lot of time and energy trying to think about uh, ways optimizing, uh, you know, efficiency things, but like carving out time in life for things that I'm still genuinely curious about. And and so it's like, hey, how do I, as a busy person, um, how do I hack the system, right? How do I hack uh, and and get it so that Chinese is, is still a part of my life in in a meaningful way? Um, and how do I be a part of these kinds of communities? And I think that that was something that I really didn't think a lot about as a university student. It, there, it's mm-hmm. not like I ever sat in on a class that was like, how do you become a lifelong effective language learner? Uh-huh. But nowadays I do spend a, a lot more time thinking about that. It's like, Hey, shoot, I've got five meetings today. I've got two kids that need to get up and go to school and go to bed and, and, and whatever. And I want to hang out and have time with my wife and and do these other things. But I really still want to find some time to do meaningful, you know, find my, do my podcasts or listen or find a Chinese movie or even heck, just sit down and read a book for a couple pages, um, and do that. Uh, and I think that that's these, these kind of daily habits are really, really important. I think it's something to kind of hone in on. And I think, I think, hopefully listeners and readers of hacking chinese will will definitely be already in this kind of zone and and tuning into this frequency but yeah i would just say that one thing um there was a long period of time actually at squitter where i was so into the business side of things that i kind of really didn't do any chinese study and and it's like the biggest regret that i have in my entire experience getting back Mm. into it especially for the pandemic i was just like i made a commitment to myself to say hey i'm getting back into this i mean at this point you know Reading books like Atomic Habits or, or reading the three to one newsletter from James Clear and, and Seth Godin and some of these influencers that are more a little bit more business. Well, Atomic Habits is really just about life. Um, mm-hmm. 
But genuinely, I think that one thing that Scooter has taught me in working with with people like you and, and team members is just finding these moments every single day to show up and 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 do something. And also realizing that there's, I'm not a student anymore, right? I'm not spending eight hours a day studying Chinese. My progress is going to be slower. But if I have a good goal in mind and I continuously kind of check in on on that reality and, and realign occasionally, um, I feel good about it. Right. I'm showing up every single day. I'm making time and I'm and I'm not just, you know, giving up on it, which I think is something that happens after school quite naturally for a lot of different things in life. So finding those those things and, and committing myself is uh something that I definitely practice and, and try and improve upon every single day still to this day. And I, I think I credit Scritter to a lot of that and just my experience um here. So if you're listening still, thank you. Uh yeah, you know. Find time every day to to make something happen inside of your target language, um, because yeah. uh, you don't want to lose it. We we spend way too long, too much time and energy to to just give up on it, and it, it will go away uh, yeah. if we don't keep up with it. And learning Chinese really is a, a long term project. It is a thousand mile journey, not something you will <laughs> yeah, that, that is in for a sure. Week or so. <laughs> so no, you cannot. These, yeah. So finding ways that uh, allow you to keep doing this even when you're busy with other things, I think that's the. And finding ways challenge. to make it fun too, uh, you, know, you know. It kind of has to be fun a little bit. Then it doesn't have to be, but if you want to torture yourself by forcing yourself to doing things you don't like, well, be my guest. But well, if just you can a little bit it, of torture. Just a little uh, bit of torture. Yeah, but it should be the right amount, I would say. Yes. Say 90% yes. fun and 10% yes. torture, not yes. the other way around. Yes. So that's the final advice from from this this episode. I think ninety uh, percent pleasure and ten percent torture. <laughs> and if we want, if we want to know more about you, Jake, uh, where should we? Where can we find you? And I'll put links to these in in the description of the episode. Sure. Yeah. If you want to see kind of what I'm working on, I do have an Instagram. I created a studygram at the start of the pandemic. I don't post as much actively anymore, but still, probably a few times a week, I engage over there. So on Instagram, I just kind of document my Chinese and Japanese language journey and some of the art then that I'm working on. Um, Which is also a very good suggestion, by the way, if you want to gain more motivation to show what you're doing to other people. Yeah, yeah. make a studygram. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, join, follow me and, and tag me and let me know and uh, I'll follow you back. Uh, but that you can also check out our more official channels on YouTube, on Instagram. Um, I just actually recently relaunched a, a YouTube um, Gao Jian, which is directly related to Scritter, but at Scritter Jake, where I'm doing some more kind of deep dives into some of my study sessions or ways to optimize Scritter or decks that I'm making for Scritter, which is very fun. But yeah, I would say check out some of those social links. You can also shoot me an email or say hi on the forum. And uh, and I'll, I'll probably see most of you in the uh, Hacking Chinese Challenges as well. I uh, yeah. try to participate. Uh, not, I think... You were on it last year. Last year I was a lot yeah, last more year I did involved. Every this year I'm doing not this year. Yeah. This year I'm doing a little bit more Japanese. Um, so my my Chinese yeah. studies are a little bit more fixed, but uh, I will be back for the vocab challenge. Yeah, yeah, but so. I'll be I'll be back for the vocab challenge in June, and and so will you, I think. And yes. um, I hope to see the rest of you there too. So thank you so much, Jake, for for taking the time to talk to us about these things. And thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, thank you. This concludes my interview with Jake Gill, and if you want links to the things mentioned in this episode, just check the show notes. And if you want to know more about Scritter, I've also put a link to my in-depth review, where I talk about what Scritter is, how I use it, and how you can leverage it to learn more Chinese. 
Thank you for tuning in to the Hacking Chinese podcast. If you like this episode, please share it. More information and inspiration about learning and teaching Chinese can be found at hackingchinese.com. See you in the next episode, and until then, good luck with your studies.